Welcome to Filling the Gap. Working for the Adventist Church has given me some insight into the structure of this entity. I've seen the human fingerprints that leave stains on it, and I've seen the beauty of the Holy Spirit working in it and through it. When I think about the needs of the church, the last thing on my mind is that it needs more churches. I think that's because I don't always see the value of adding new churches to the masses. I've heard someone pose this idea. If an Adventist church closed in the community, would anyone care? Would the community feel its loss? And this led me to ask my friend, who's in the process of planting a church, why he's doing what he's doing. Colby Meyer hails from Canada and grew up in a loving home. He is a pastor in the Oregon Conference and currently serves at the City Sanctuary in Portland, Oregon. So let's see how he got here, planning and preparing for a new church movement. So from as early as I can remember, you know, I had a ball in my hands and I was just shooting on my Fisher Price hoop at four years old, you know, so it was like, I, I just I just fell in love with the game uh, from four years old. And from there, I just kind of kept rolling with it. My parents encouraged me and they, just, they really encouraged uh, sport and that was like a huge part of my identity and just where I was rooted, I was grounded. Like I found my security, my sanctuary, my safe place was on the basketball court. But all that would change. When I had experienced an injury when I was in grade 12, uh, I messed up my ankle really bad and uh, wasn't able to go on a tournament that uh, was gonna be uh, really good and just kind of exposure to a lot of NCAA Division I schools. And so I kind of saw my dreams, my hopes being like shattered because I really wanted to play in NCAA Division One, And uh, not having that opportunity afforded to me really uh, caused me a lot of pain and a lot of questioning about like why did, you know, why did God allow that to happen? And so those are the types of questions I was wrestling with. And I think those are a lot of questions I think that a lot of people happen or a lot of people have uh, when they're uh, um, kind of struggling with, uh, you know, some of these mishaps or misfortunes that happen in life. And mine was very minor, but at the same time, I think, you know, it stirs some of those questions, you know. I really began to struggle with issues of identity. While waiting in his hotel room with a bag of ice on his ankle, Colby turned on the TV. I remember watching Joseph, uh, I think it's called Joseph Prince of Dreams or King of Dreams or something like that. And um, uh, I remember just this, this show came on and this movie came on and I was like, okay, like what's this about? Uh, he's in the pit and he's singing, Lord, you know better than I, you know, you, know, you know the way. I love that song. It's just so great. It's such a great song, but it just talks about how God's providence and how God's plan uh, overrules all of man's plans and how the hearts of man, he plans his ways, but God determines his steps type of deal. And so for me, that was just like, dang, like it was an eye opener. I was like, wow, God, maybe you do have a plan that wasn't what I had in mind, you know, a plan that was different from my own plans. And so I opened up my Bible for the first, really for the first time and read my Bible, you know, uh, really got into my Bible and just like read it from front to cover in a matter of a few months, really. It just went, went to cruise through this thing. Um, and I got convicted that, you know, the God of the Bible, uh, the God in the face of Jesus, you know, he was the Lord and Savior, uh, and I could put my trust and confidence and hope in him for my future. His newfound curiosity and passion for Jesus led him to attend his grandparents' church. Which is like, the, it's like the smallest church. It was like maybe like 50 people, maybe even less. But they were the most loving community I had ever met. 
everybody almost in that church was over the age of, I would say like 85% of them were over the age of 70. But let me tell you, like, God is not not done with you. doesn't matter what age you are. God is not done with you because that church had the biggest impact on me at 18 years old. They loved me. They cared for me. They just nurtured me and brought me under their wing. So it's just, it's just a testimony to that, how powerful love and community can be. Uh, it can really, you know, transform someone's life where they feel accepted and wanted and pursued. And love is the avenue to do that. Uh, and for me, that just changed my, my, my outlook on who I was, who I saw myself to be. Colby got connected with a local youth group of a different denomination to get plugged in with people his own age. I attended this Mennonite church, and this pastor uh, was going on a, on a missions trip to Los Angeles and so with a bunch of youth. And so I went on that. And we went to Skid Row, Compton, some of the projects in L.A., and we just served the communities and just handed out welfare packages and just handed out like all this you know, food and, and just fresh, fresh resource to these people, these communities, um, that uh, they just soaked it up. And this guy, this pastor uh, who led this missions trip, he just kind of said, hey, man, like I could totally see you doing ministry. Have you thought about, you know, pastoral ministry or studying theology going into university? And I said, you know, I thought about it. You know, I I really love the Lord and I love serving people and I love ministry. And so it got me thinking, right? And then I I decided to enroll um, at this Bible college in, uh, in Canada. Colby studied theology and would later attend seminary. But while in Canada, God planted this idea of church planting in his heart. Me and my buddy would drive down from Kelowna. We'd drive like nine hours or eight hours to Seattle, Washington, and we'd go to Mars Hill Church. And I think they're a non-denominational church, but just seeing the innovation, seeing just the the creativity um, and just what they were doing in their community was amazing. And then at that point, I was like, I want to plant a church, like something that's innovative, something that's culturally relevant, yet theologically conservative, I think is really what a lot of our churches need. We're good on being the theologically conservative or even theologically progressive, but we fail on cultural relevance. In seminary, Colby chose to get his master's in New Testament studies. Although it's not necessarily the education one receives for church planting, he did find an opportunity to do so anyhow. So I didn't really get like the praxis stuff, you know, like the, 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 the theology behind church planting or church growth, or I didn't, I didn't do that stuff. I kind of just like, that's self-taught, I guess, in just learning, you know, reading as much as I could. But I really wanted to get the academic foundation uh, because I really wanted to do good Bible study. You know, I, I really, after I get out of seminary, I really want to plant a church. But this guy called me up out of nowhere. His name was Fred. He called me up and he's like, hey man, we got this Bible study that we'd like to turn into a church plant. Uh, at, uh, we rented out the United Methodist Church in, uh, in Granger, Indiana, and just started meeting every Saturday uh, for just fellowship and for, uh, for a word and for study and for, uh, for food. Even now, I think back about that church plant and while I was in seminary, it was just It was so much fun. With these experiences in school, ministry, and church, Colby was called by the Oregon Conference, where he would begin to develop a church plant in Portland. I I started a Bible study in my my living room. I just have a small apartment, got like uh, two couches in there. You know, we pulled up some chairs and just kind of sit around the coffee table um, and just, you know, break down a book of the Bible or break down a chapter or something like that and just get into the text. And it was just very basic. We just kind of met together and just started building relationships with people. You know, we meet every, I think it was every Friday night. 
we would do this in my house, uh, in my apartment. Um, and we called it the upper room because I was on the second floor. So, and I actually, the funny thing is I have a picture of, uh, I think it's Leonardo da Vinci's uh, Last Supper, right? I have a picture on my wall. <laughs> so we call it the upper room because it was where Jesus and his disciples met. And so we're meeting there too. These small beginnings founded on relationship and trust would be the building blocks for his vision of a church. However, the environment and the odds have not been in his favor. I think is the is the hallmark of every every great new church startup is uh, being contextual and making the Bible and the gospel contextual and wrapping it in human flesh so that people can understand cultural, you know, incarnational language. When I when I knew that Portland was the place where I was going to land coming after, I knew that. Um, all the statistics, most of the statistics say that 90% uh, of church plants fail in Portland. And that's predominantly because it is, it's not the South, because majority of those people, at least it's a, it's a Christian culture. So the Northwest, the Pacific Northwest, um, you know, historically has been one of the least church, uh, least church states, you know, Oregon particularly. I think the stats are 93% of Portland is unchurched. You know, so 7% of people here in the Portland Metro go to church on a regular basis. So it's like, you know, and a lot of people just identify with, you know, atheists or agnostic or the nuns, just not affiliated altogether. So it's like, it's such a mission field out here. And uh, knowing that, you know, it's such a mission field, I don't, I don't see myself, you know, even though I'm from Canada, you know, I guess I kind of see myself as, as a missionary in one way, right? Because I'm like, I'm going into a different country, into a different context. But Portland is its own its own thing because um, really it's it's such a unique uh, subculture from the rest of the United States. There's just a lot of unique ideologies and belief systems, a lot of spiritualism, uh, a lot of you know sorcery, witchcraft. Like there's just a lot of weird stuff. You know you got to be careful with your semantics and your pronoun usage. Um, just, there's so many uh, mi mi micro and macro issues that you have to be aware of. Um, and I think as, as a church planter or someone who wants to start a new church in a community, you need to be well aware of, of some of the issues and, you know, um, you know, some of the beliefs in that community is just being culturally relevant, being sensitive. For example, I always use this. If you go into, uh, to the Middle East and you walk into someone's house and you don't take off your shoes, right? The shoe is like one of the filthiest things you can encounter in the Middle East. So it's like you walk into someone's house with your shoes, it's like an insult. And I always, you know, if you want to share the gospel well with someone in the Middle East, you have to be aware of those those cultural taboos. And the same thing in Portland. There's certain cultural taboos here, which if we're not well familiar with or we're not willing to engage, um, we're going to do more harm to sharing the gospel than good. And we want to be helpful, not harmful. And one way to be helpful is to understand the respective culture you find yourself surrounded by and find commonalities points of intersection between the gospel and Portland ideology and Portland beliefs. So one, for example, is like the idea of unconditional acceptance. Doesn't matter what you look like, doesn't matter your gender, your sexual orientation, doesn't matter, you know, pink hair, blue hair, whatever kind of hair you have, it doesn't matter, right? It's just like, we accept you. So then you think of how the gospel plays into that. You know, how, how, does, how does Jesus speak into that? Just the inclusiveness of his message. Doesn't matter where you're from, what socioeconomic status you are, doesn't matter, you know, your race or your, your religion, there's room at the table of Jesus, there's room at his feet. Everybody, anybody can come to him. Uh, and I, I think that is one of the strongest points of intersection that we have, just this unconditional acceptance in the gospel and what that looks like. 
in, in terms of Adventism in Portland, you know, I think of the Sabbath, right? And what does the Sabbath mean? What does it symbolize? How does it relate to Portland culture? And for so long, we've, we've said it's because it's right, rather than it's because it's a delight. And it's helpful. It's God's grace. It's God's gift to us as humans. Sabbath also becomes, and I use Portland language, a protest against capitalism, against consumerism, against uh, the artificial urgency of life and the hurried way of life in Western society. Sabbath becomes a protest against all those things. And it's a place where we can disconnect, disengage, uh, disconnect from consumerism, capitalism, all that stuff, and just lay those things aside and say, this is my sanctuary in time and space. Thank you, God, for giving this thing to me. And people are looking for that, and we've been communicating it in a way that hasn't been helpful. Everything that Jesus taught, everything that you know our church has to offer, it is all the more important in terms of how we communicate it, how we go about talking about that thing. Because if we speak about it because it's right, and I'm living in the Pacific Northwest where 93% don't believe the Bible is authoritative ruler for their lives, how can I appeal to someone on a secular basis about what the teachings of Jesus say? Because I believe the teachings of Jesus are helpful. So if I believe it's helpful for everyone, regardless of your religion or your, your ethnicity or whatever, your societal norms, whatever it is, I believe it's helpful. So how can we communicate that in terms of you know, how is Jesus' teachings helpful to this particular context, these particular people? I think more than ever, I think millennials, you know, in particular, they're looking for that organic, authentic, transparent kind of approach. Uh, we all want that. We all long for that. We want, we want real. We want, want, you know, we want raw. We don't want fake. Uh, and sometimes the church has done a poor job at being a safe place for people to have those organic, transparent, authentic experiences because we, we're not sure if that we'll, we'll find uh, reciprocation on the other end of being vulnerable. Colby has found that a simple way to help a plant be successful is to know your community's needs. And for Portland, those needs shift from neighborhood to neighborhood. Because Portland's such a neighborhood city, if you're like northeast and southeast, two totally different demographics, two totally different need-based communities. But what I've encountered uh, in Southeast is that, you know, number one, like there seems to be a lot of uh, uh, fosters and orphans uh, in, in this area. My conversation with a lot of people in my neighborhood has been like either it was abuse in the foster care system or it was neglect or they got tossed around. And, and so there seems to be a, a huge, you know, kind of um, a, a need from these, these, uh, these orphans, right? who haven't found a place, a safe place, haven't found the type of support system that they need to really develop in their interpersonal development and also just, you know, um, in their faith too. Another need he sees is the homelessness crisis. When I was uh, living uh, in Gresham, when I was working at Sunnyside Church, and I would run this bike pathway all the time, and I'm, I kid you not, for miles and miles and miles as I ran, you would see all these tents in the, in the side brush, in the bushes, all these tents pitched. And uh, how can we kind of, uh, you know, do something new as a church or as a community where we can give these people uh, the opportunity to, to get back up, you know, and to, uh, I think Jesus calls us to look after the, the least of these, you know. And so, you know, homelessness is a huge epidemic right across the United States. But, you know, in Portland, it seems like there's, there's it's continuing to grow every single year. 
our major push is I think we want to to be a church that is sensitive to the needs in our community wherever we plant because we're not sure yet. Like I said, Northeast is so different from Southeast and the Pearl is so different from Southwest. It's like we have to really identify where we're going to plant, where we're going to establish ourselves first and then really encompass and be incarnational and be sensitive to the the needs in that community. But I feel like wherever we go, the, the, the point is that we need to be culturally relevant just immerse ourselves into the cracks, into the holes of society, right? So just allow ourselves to seep into those cracks, into those crevices of society. Um, And I think that that's where Jesus wants to go. And that's where we want to go. We want to follow him where he's leading. So what is his vision? What will a new church add that hasn't been working before in this context? Colby has seen the needs. He knows the territory and he has the drive. Now, comes the vision. The gospel and the good news of Jesus needs to be the center. And so what is the good news? It's this, it's this news of God's new kingdom, right? The kingdom of heaven on earth. So the question is then, what is this kingdom of heaven entail, right? This is the good news that Jesus brought. And the cool part is, is that the good news uh, has to do with how the, the, the broken and the sick are being healed and made whole again. You know, the good news of God's new kingdom and the arrival of his kingdom has to do with how the oppressed are being liberated, right? So the good news can be seen in social justice, right? And I think of, I think of Portland, social justice is such a huge catchphrase here, right? Well, what about communicating Jesus and communicating the gospel in terms of its social impact, right? The social gospel, not just between me and God, but between me and man, between me and my fellow person. Right? And how Jesus came to liberate the oppressed, how Jesus came to heal the captive and set the exiles, set them free again, right? Uh, it's like that's so core to the gospel and to Jesus and to his person and to his ministry and mission. So what can the church do, right? Living in that context, how can we say we're going to fill that gap? We're going to step into that role. We're going to be those you know, those advocates for those people, right? We're going to be those people who are, are going to fix that that problem and provide a solution. That's That's got to be the, the role and the center and the crux of, of what we communicate as a church, not just by what we say, not just by what we believe, but actually by what we are doing to live out the good news, to live out God's kingdom, the kingdom of heaven on earth. So for me, it's like I, I want to be fixated like a laser on on reaching unchurched people. I think people are getting tired of going to church, but people aren't tired of community. You know, people aren't tired tired of, of coming together, of encouraging each other. People aren't tired of, of singing songs, worship songs. People aren't tired of that stuff. Jesus talked about this word, church. He talked to Peter. He said, upon this rock, I'm going to build my church. And the word has to do, church has to do with uh, the Greek word ecclesia. And it's more, it has less to do with a building and more to do, do with a movement more to do with a community or congregation on purpose, on mission. And today we've made the word to be about a building. Those are two different things. So you can lock me out of the church, right? But you can't stop the ecclesia because the ecclesia is in the air. It's underground. It's in the sky. It's in the hearts of men and women all over the world. Colby knows that this movement may face pushback and it already has, but he's not walking into a dead end. He's not going into this alone. He's following and seeking God where he's leading. There's a favorite quote I have from Tim Keller. He says this, he says, God does not merely send the church in mission. God already is in mission and the church must join him. And I love this because the activity of the Holy Spirit is everywhere. 
right? But can we see where God is already and can we partner with him there, right? Because I think sometimes we, we think that we're gonna bring the good news of Jesus, we're gonna plant a church here where there is no churches or we're gonna, we're gonna you know, set our, pitch our flag here and we're gonna you know, set up the, 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 the camp of the Holy Spirit in this city or whatever. But it's like God is already working in that city. Like God is already working in people's hearts and people's minds. And so we're not going to, to, uh, to set up something new or to start something new. We're going to where we believe that God is already at work and we're partnering with him in his mission. There have been just tons of, of prophetic words uh, spoken over the Pacific Northwest about how God is, is, is shaking. There's like a revival in the Pacific Northwest, like one of the most unchurched regions of all the U.S. Like God is, is, is a sovereign move of God in the Pacific Northwest. And all these church leaders are coming from all over the world to Portland, to Seattle, right, to, to the PNW, because they want to be a part of what God is trying to do in this area, in this region. And so that's so exciting because I think as a church planner, we see that all of this is, you know, is taking place and we're like, man, where can we partner with God? Where can we partner with the activity of the Holy Spirit in our neighborhood, in our city, in our community, in our region? Like, what is God calling us to do? Uh, I think it's such an important question to ask. I used to think that church planting was an overexhausted method for reaching people. But seeing and understanding Colby's vision, I can see something new. I can't know what exactly works and doesn't work. I don't have the eyes of God to see the whole picture. All that we can do is follow his leading and trust the bigger picture. I can now see how God is already at work. God is in those gaps, beckoning us to join him. These are the gaps all around us, and I want to be where Jesus is.